message today will be brought to us by Mr. Matthew Steele. It is entitled, Patience and Faith. Good afternoon, everyone. Bit of a dreary day outside, but uh, glad to be here. And um, really good Bible study. Uh, I appreciated uh, some of the extra imagery that, that Reg had on there to remind us of what part of the world we're, we're studying. So it used to be one of the defining characteristics of the free world um, that every citizen could freely move from place to place could move from state to state, county to county, city to city. And you could do all of that without having to produce something, without having to produce paper, identification, right? Now, we gave identification if we were mm, going a little too fast on the way to church, for example. Or maybe we have a little, you know, turn signal out or something like that, but otherwise we would be free to travel across the country unhindered and not requiring to stop at checkpoints to hand in our papers. You know, this is such a defining characteristic. You know, I'm, I'm, you know I grew up in the 80s and we, we still had lots of Cold War movies, right, and books, and, and it was like one of the things that was part of the, the narrative of, of Cold War stories was that you know, it was the spies were bringing the secret information out from behind the Iron Curtain and they would have to forge papers, documents, so they could come back and be in the free society again. It was a boast of the West, of free men and women in the Western world but the government could not ask for their papers or prevent their lawful movement. But now, in the light of the wildly overstated effects and resultant restrictions of SARS-CoV-2, this bedrock principle of the free movement of people without, prevent, without having to present papers is going to be something that our children will read about and our grandchildren will history book. Coming to a formerly free country near you will be the new health or vaccine digital passport. Has anybody heard of this? One or two? You will receive this passport free of charge whether you want it or not. Now, you might think I'm being a little bit dramatic. I'm overstating this possibility a little bit. But unfortunately, you would be wrong. This morning, I did a very simple uh, web search. And I used that incredibly reliable and honest internet search engine known as Google. And when I searched in there, I put in uh, it was you know non-biased term. All I put in was vaccine passport. And I think I gave Brian an image. I don't know. Oh, it's a little small. So these are just the news segments. I went over to the news filter. And this is just what came up. Some of these articles are within you know, the last day or two, maybe a little bit older. But otherwise, fairly up to date. Associated Press reports vaccination passports may, be, may open society, but inequity looms. The BBC reports coronavirus, EU urged to adopt vaccine passports. Greece and Austria want coronavirus-free tourists this summer, but other EU states have concerns. France 24, ticket to ride, vaccine passports divide world. Paris. Uh, the idea of vaccine passports, which allow people to have, who have been inoculated the freedom to travel, is gaining traction. 
Bloomberg, EU told to back vaccine passports or Google may do it anyway. That's probably one of the most chilling ones. European Union leaders inched towards establishing a block-wide vaccine certificate to enable countries to reopen, uh, uh, countries to reopen to travel. And then CNBC, COVID vaccine passports are being considered and health experts and rights groups are deeply concerned. The US, UK and EU are considering whether to introduce a digital passport that will allow citizens to show that they have been vaccinated. So, not perhaps overstating it too much. And of course, this possibility that uh, they'll get too much resistance, that uh, people will push back, and that we won't have this just yet. I'm kind of doubtful on that, but we'll see. On the website Mercola.com, a long-established health information website, an online health news journal. In an article dated February 24th, 2021, entitled, Papers, Please, Vaccine Passports Have Officially Arrived, the founder and medical doctor Joseph Mercola writes, for a weary public longing to get back to normalcy, vaccine passports represent a tantalizing carrot being dangled as a mechanism for freedom. By showing proof that you have received a COVID-19 vaccine, perhaps you can once again board an airplane and travel freely, attend a concert, or enjoy a meal in your favorite restaurant, just like you used to do. Except being required to present your papers in order to live your life isn't actually freedom at all. It is discrimination, and even a move toward a technocratic fascism. One of these settings is the stage for increased surveillance and erosion um, uh, of your privacy. Nonetheless, this blatant move toward an ever-increasing surveillance state is being welcomed by many who have been led to believe the passports are necessary to protect, protect public health and safety. It's likely only a matter of time before you will be asked to prove your vaccination status in order to carry on with your daily life. The government seems to be developing vaccine passports by stealth, making sure the technology is in place for anyone who needs it, wrote Laura Pendergast um, from The Spectator. And I don't know if uh, anybody has noticed, but certainly on the Apple platform, iOS, there's technology built in that was just installed with an update that is making the device ready for a passport of this kind. So I don't know if you're aware of that. I think you can go in there and and turn it off. So Pendergast is referring to the UK government, which has given sizable grants to a number of private companies developing such technology. This includes more than 86,000 to Logifect, which is slated to launch a vaccine passport app in March 2021, and more than $104,000 to iProve and uh, Mvine, which are developing digital certificates that show your vaccination status. As Pendergast, note, as Pendergast noted, your phone would most likely be your vaccination passport. Everyone's vaccination status is already being logged centrally by the natural immunization vaccination system using the NHS number. And this, of course, is in the UK. Around the world, vaccine passports are rapidly being rolled out, including in Denmark, which will be issuing them this month. I've already started issuing them. Sweden, Spain, Italy, Cyprus, and Malta have also expressed positivity toward vaccine passports to revive tourism, while in the US, plans for vaccine IDs are under evaluation. The Commons Project and the World Economic Forum created the Common Trust Network, which developed the Common Pass app that is intended to act as a health passport in the future. The app allows users to upload medical data such as COVID-19 tests uh, result or proof of vaccination, which then generates a QR code that you uh, will show authorities as your health passport. The proposed common framework for safe border reopening around the world has, it has various different requirements. And what's interesting is that this isn't just for each country. 
right? The U.S. could decide to have its own. Uh, Europe could have its own. U.K. and so on. But actually, they're they're uh, collaborating at an international level to make them all compatible for global travel. So just think about that. Eventually, the common fra pass framework will be integrated with already existing personal uh, health apps such as Apple Health and Common Health. If you want to travel, your personal health record will be evaluated and compared to a country's entry requirements. And if you don't meet them, you'll be directed to an approved testing and vaccination location. So <laughs> think about that. If uh, the country of destination you get there and they require you to have a vaccine, you'll be denied entry and you will have to go back home. Ma majority are in favor of uh, privacy encroaching technology. Even as mortality data sh uh, show COVID-19 is hardly the deadly pandemic it has been made out to be, fear-mongering remains in full effect, including warnings that more infectious mutated strain of SARS-CoV-2 is on the loose. With fear still omnipresent, acceptance of privacy encroaching technology that promises an illusion of safety is high. In the UK, researchers from the University of Bristol conducted two large surveys about such technologies, with overwhelming positivity reported. The first, measure, uh, the first measured public acceptance of location tracking through your cell phone that would allow health agents, agencies to monitor your contact with others to target social distancing and quarantine measures. So let that sink in for a little bit. Because what's that, what that's saying is that using your cell phone and the data of your passport, it can determine whether or not you are a risk to somebody in the restaurant that you're in or somebody in the restaurants a risk to you. And just, you know, start giving you alerts. Hey, you're standing too close to this person. You need to move, move over here. I mean, <laughs> this is being uh, not just entertained, but designed. And people are accepting it. About 70% of the respondents said that they would accept such an app that they could choose to download and surprisingly, 65% also said they would accept such an app if it was mandated by the government and used to locate those violating lockdown orders and issue fines and arrests. So now, you know, I don't know if you remember at the start of the pandemic, but certain states like, uh, or cities like New York City were asking individuals to report on their neighbors if they were violating the lockdown. And uh, it was kind of funny because the, the, the number that you called in to do that on got overwhelmed with recordings of, you know, calling them Nazis and, and so on and probably some other unkind words, so they had to shut it down. But now the app does it for you without your knowledge. And I don't know if you're aware, but there's ways of using that technology to determine if there's somebody next to you with a cell phone that doesn't have the app installed. And so now you can even get them in trouble, especially if it's mandated. A second survey evaluated acceptance of vaccine passports with 60% stating that they were in favor and only 20% stating they were strongly opposed. A study lead author, Professor Stephen Lewandowski, described those opposed as surprisingly low, adding, it's fascinating how people seem increasingly receptive to their personal data being used to inform themselves and others about what they can and cannot do. I mean, this is crazy, isn't it? This is crazy. Pendergast put this widespread acceptance into further context for the British who have traditionally been deeply suspicious of the idea of officials asking for papers. And I can attest to that. Mark can too. I mean, how many years? I don't even know if they still do it now, but when I had a driver's license over there, there was no photo ID on it. 
no photo ID on it. And it was strange when I came here. I'm like, well, you have to have your face on your driver's license. But now, it's changing, clearly. And this is an interesting quote. Uh, back when Tony Blair was prime minister, uh, his government tried to introduce ID cards, more like you know the U.S. driver's license, photo ID, and so on. There was a huge backlash against it. And one journalist at the time said this, if I'm ever asked to produce my ID card as evidence that I, that I am who I say I am, when I have done nothing wrong, and when I am simply ambling along and breathing God's fresh air like any other freeborn Englishman, then I will take that card out of my wallet and physically eat it in the presence of who, <laughs> whoever, <laughs> whoever uh, emanation of the state has demanded that I produce it. That journalist is now the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. That was Boris Johnson. And it would be extraordinary, the article says, if it turns out that Boris Johnson ended up being the man who introduced an immunity identity system in Britain. But it appears to be the case. And they're certainly investing money in it. And why invest the money in it if you're not wanting to do it or have some kind of political pressure to do it? And it's astonishing, isn't it? Like Boris Johnson said, natural-born Englishmen and women are so quick to give up one of the key pillars of a free society. The freedom to move wherever you want. And then, of course, the other, the freedom to say whatever you want which is certainly under threat from other, other directions. This is where we are, folks. This is really where we are. Now, perhaps, like I said earlier, people might fight back. There may be uh, you know, other organizations get involved, civil rights organizations, maybe some lawsuits. But you know, with surveys like that, that they were talking about, with 70%, 65 to 70% acceptance, it feels doubtful, doesn't it, that there'll be sufficient enough pushback. So at this moment in time, I'm not sure that I'll ever be able to go back to England. Because I'm not going to take the COVID-19 uh, vaccine. I'm, I'm just not going to do it. It's, uh, it hasn't been tested anywhere near as long as a regular vaccine would normally be tested, and even the testing on regular vaccines is woefully inadequate. And it's, it's all for a virus that is 99.7% non-fatal. You know, and there certainly have been people that have died of it, and we, we can't minimize that. Those folks who are at high risk, unfortunately, of dying of any similar kind of virus. The CDC and Anthony Fauci, and you can go look for the videos on this, and you can go look at the documentation on the CDC website. It's publicly available. They freely admit that this vaccine does not provide immunity to the virus. It is not a typical vaccine that stimulates the immune system to identify the virus, and then you get immunity, and then with enough people vaccinated with it, you get herd immunity. It is not that kind of virus. I mean, that kind of vaccine. It's not actually even a vaccine. They're calling it a vaccine because they want it protected under legislation that protects manufacturers of, vi of vaccine from liability and from, from lawsuits. So you can still become infected with the natural virus after you've been vaccinated and pass it on. And so, you know, that's why Anthony Fauci is saying you're still going to have to wear masks even after you've been vaccinated. All the way on into 2022. That's why he's saying that. I'm sorry if I'm shocking you. I personally have been walking a very fine line uh, with public announcements or pronouncements of where I fall on this. 
I personally believe that the coronavirus pandemic is probably one of the largest lies ever foisted on humanity. It is risky for a very, very few, and it, it's deadly for a very, very few. But very similar levels to the seasonal flu. I've looked at the data, and I encourage you to look at the data. But when you look at the data, do not look at the mainstream media. Do not look at Fox News. Do not look at CNN. Do not look to the BBC. They're all reading from the same playbook. You can see, you know, kind of montages of videos and, and uh, headlines from the various news agencies, and it's like one person wrote all the press releases, time after time after time. And nobody's asking real questions. So I would suggest you go to other websites that are actually asking questions of real data. So some of them are marcola.com, thehighwire.com, icandecide.org, the Great Barrington Declaration. And that's a really fascinating one because that is a collection of specialists, virologists, epi epidemiologists from around the world that completely disagree with how the coronavirus situation has been handled. And they're not kind of crazy people. They are established in their field. Let's do our own research. We really have to do our own reading, prove it to ourselves. And as I, as I said earlier, not the mainstream news. The mainstream news, interestingly enough, 90% of mainstream news is controlled by six corporations. So we're going to get a single message from those people. I can't help but wonder, though, if the emergence of this vaccine passport wasn't the purpose of this all along. And even if the virus itself was not deliberate, even if it was purely uh, natural, and I, I, I have no idea whether it was or not, there's certainly many conspiracy theories, and some of them are quite, quite strange. But even if the virus was natural, it certainly seems that the governments around the world are, uh, to, to, to quote, I think it was Teddy Roosevelt, let no good crisis go to waste. And so they're certainly looking to implement some things that they've wanted to do for a while. So, after all this highly motivating and enlightening and uplifting material, what are we supposed to do about this? I mean, what, what are we supposed to do with this? I was asking my wife that, was it last night? And, you know, just, what are we supposed to do about this? about this situation. Even if, say what I presented today is true, what can we do about it? What are we supposed to do? Now, firstly, let me make something clear. I am not saying, I am not saying that a vaccine or a health passport is the market of evil. Okay? There's definitely some conversation out in the the world about that for probably some valid reasons, but I'm not saying that. But it does seem to me that it is another warning sign, isn't it, on this super highway that we're all barreling down. And there's a sign that's saying, bridge out ahead, you know, that there's something ahead of us. And Jesus told us to take care and watch for the signs of the time. And we need to do that. We need to pay attention to it. In Revelation chapter 13, verses 11 through 18, it is the passage that talks about the mark of the beast. And I'd like to just kind of look at this a little bit. There's a lot going on in this passage, and it's hard uh, to kind of condense it all into to, uh, certainly you know, 20, 25 minutes or so. Picking it up in verse 11, it says, Then I saw another beast coming out, up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it 
uh, to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast. Telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their forehead, that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. Now, like I said before, we're not going to have a lot of time to dig into all of this. It's, there's, there's so much going on. But I, I want to pull out a few things that I think are relevant to what we're seeing in regards to vaccine passports, in regards to ever-increasing government control over our lives. Firstly, by the time that we see these events and these powers start to affect the earth, there's good news. We're nearly there. It is the time of the end at this point. When we are in this moment, it's somebody's put foot on the gas on this superhighway, and we're nearing the end. So that is good news. The period leading up to the end of mankind's rule on the earth, the establishment of the kingdom of God. I've been praying that he would skip all the bad stuff and just go to the kingdom of God, but I don't think I have that much pull. It would be great, wouldn't it? But that's where we are. And then there's this amazing scene, and you know, it just must blow John's mind to see this, all of these imagery happening, and, and, and what, what is going on? What does this, this mean? And this amazing image um, of this one beast rising out of the earth. You know, the first beast was rising out of the sea. This one rises out of the earth. And it's likened to a lamb having two horns on it. Uh, two horns as a lamb. And the imagery in the vision of this beast seems to carry with it more false attributes. Like false savior type attributes. False lamb attributes. He is a religious power or authority and causes the people of the earth to worship the first beast. The power of the lamb, uh, or the lamb-like beast, cannot be understated. Think about what he's able to do. He is able to call fire down from heaven. In all of our history, in all of our biblical history, only God has poured fire down from heaven. And this creature, this beast, this force is doing so. He is able to give breath to the image or the representation of the first beast. As though he's breathing life, as though he's a giving life force to this image, this statue of the first beast. And this, this can get a little convoluted, but then that that statue, right, that image of the beast itself now comes alive. And it's worth noting that he causes the whole earth, when it says he causes the whole earth to worship the image of the beast, it literally means to bow down, to worship, to kiss the feet, to, to just lay down in front of this awesome sight, this terrifying sight, probably. It's absolute worship. Absolute worship that is going on here. Total, global adoration of the power of a system, of a religion that is the very opposite 
of God. And he is the only one that should be worshipped. And then sadly, this lamb-like beast then causes the image of the beast, that figurative statue, as it were, to cause anyone who does not worship this image to be killed. And then there's a second important point to this passage. Even in the midst of this incredible time when the whole world is bowing down to this image, worshiping the beast, just pouring on their love and just obeying and worshiping this, this power, there are these amazing people that are still on the earth that resist. I mean, think of that. They are resisting this overwhelming power, all that pure pressure. The whole world is worshiping this beast. And yet there are these individuals that flat out refuse to give themselves over to a false savior type image, a false image of God, a false way of living. Who are these people? It is us. Right? Is, don't, I mean, if we're alive at this time, don't we want it to be us? I mean, yeah, we don't want to get, you know, taken out. But we want to resist. It is the saints. It is us. God willing, it is us. And sorry if you've noticed this. It's been maybe a while since perhaps we've, we've studied it together, but there are some powerful symmetries, uh, some similes and uh, connections between what I just read here in Revelation and the saints and how the saints resist this anti-God, anti-truth practice and government and system. There's these similarities to the saints. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. All the way back in Babylon, under King Nebuchadnezzar. You remember the story, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Who can remember their other names? Raj could probably do it. The King Nebuchadnezzar. So he, he was persuaded to build this great image, this statue. Of who? Himself. He was such a humble man. And everybody had to worship this statue. And in fact, it, you know, it, it, it talks about calling in all the peoples from you know, Babylon and their leaders. And it was put out on this plane so everybody could see it. And when the music started playing, the opposite of musical chairs, when the music started playing, they were all to worship this image. It says in Daniel 3, verse 4, And then the herald cried out, To you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages. That sounds kind of a global pronouncement, doesn't it? All of you people. Babylon was certainly the, the dominant power at the, town, at the time. And it says, that at the time that you hear the sound of the horn and the flute and the harp and the lyre and the psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And of course we know of at least three men that did not bow down to this image. I'm always curious about where Daniel was. Did he arrange to be out of town? Because, you know, he wasn't drug in with these three. And it's just kind of curious. But when the king was informed, as it says in Daniel chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, 
that you, you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image which I have set up. If you are ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn and the flute and the harp and the lyre and the psaltery and in the symphony with all the kinds of music, all the razzmatazz, if you are ready this next time we do it, right, and fall down and worship the image which I have made, then good. Good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hand? And he's coming close to getting into big trouble. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. We don't need to wait until all the music starts playing. We can just tell you right now. We're not going to do it. We are going to resist. He said, if that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the golden image which you have set up. Talk about I would like to think I would be that brave. I'd like to think I'd be that brave. I want to be that brave. What do you call this? Is it a revolt? No. Not a revolt. He's not trying to overthrow the king, right? He's not trying to tear down that statue. They weren't trying to do any of that. It was very simple. They were resolute, and they were just resisting. We will not do it. They resisted that false pagan anti-God system. Whether God saves them in this life or not, they would not worship that image. They would worship only God. In the end, what are they doing? They are simply following commandments of God. It's that simple, isn't it? The commandments of God can be a guide in the most critical moments in life. We so need to remember the commandments of God in those critical moments of life. This is what Revelation, in Revelation is called the patience of the saints. If we drop down to Revelation chapter 14 and verse 6, we see the alignment of the experience of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Babylon. And we see that connecting alongside the saints that are living in the end times, in the end time Babylon. It says in verse 6, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth and the sea and the springs of water. And another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And then the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. <laughs> what language? You know, it's so poetic and it's terrifying. And I can't wait for it to happen. Not because of the terrible death and destruction that happens, but because of what comes after that, right? But this gospel, the gospel that we know, is going to be proclaimed by angels. And Babylon will be judged. The anti-God faith. 
the anti-God system will be finally judged. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and the presence of the Lamb and the smoke of their torment ascends forever and they have no rest day or night to worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. And that's an interesting little phrase there. Renee and I were talking about this this morning. And I was like, yeah, I think what that's saying is that this, at this moment in time when these judgments are coming, that there's like an extra blessing that comes down that you know that if you're dying in the Lord, you're good. You're saved. And she's like, no. <laughs> she said, I feel like it means now. Now, where we are now. And of course it does, doesn't it? That if we die in the Lord now, we are saved. We will be put in the, our bodies put in the grave, our spirit returned to God, and saved in the altar there, waiting the resurrection. I think she's right. But it's interesting though, of all of this passage, what do we focus on in our general conversation about the time of the end and some of those symbolism things? And, and how do we know that we're there? What do we focus on? Anybody? Not a trick question. The mark of the beast, right? We want to know what is the mark of the beast so that we don't get it, <laughs> right? Right? Accidentally fall in the street, bash your head, oh man, I've been stamped at the mark of the beast. We don't want that. So we want to know what that is. And it also tells us that we kind of know where we are in the timeline too, right? But what actually comes before that? What comes before that? Before they get the mark of the beast, So the real thing to look out for is who are you worshiping? That is the tricky part. Because there are so many gods to worship. And lots of them look like the God of the Bible. The God of Scripture. Who are we worshiping? It's the worshiping that comes first. And then you get the mark. Then you get your passport, right? To freely move around. To buy and sell. Revelation chapter 1, verse 4. After these things I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. And then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted harm the earth and the sea, saying, do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, until we have sealed the servants of our God on their forehead. Should we be worried about the mark of the beast? We're getting the seal of God. Getting the mark of God on our foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel, or seal. Ultimately, it's always been about worship. It's who we worship. We have a choice. It's been the same choice ever since God made man on the earth. Worship him or worship the God of our own imagination. Satan, take your pick, but all falsehood. Worship that or worship God. It was true, true for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego living in Babylon. 
It was true for the Apostle Paul when he was writing to the Ephesians. And he was living under a different kind of Babylon that we call Rome. All about who we worship. It was about rejecting the beast power system and professing that God is king and Caesar is not. The rulers of this world are not. Nebuchadnezzar is not. God is king. Now, as I said before, I'm not saying the vaccine passport is the mark of the beast. I'm not saying that by taking a vaccine, I'm not saying that's the mark of the beast either. But what I'm saying is that we should be very cautious about collaborating with a system that will be used against us. We already know that. We can read what their intentions are. An app that can use GPS location information to pinpoint where we are and who we're with and who's around us in the restaurant or in the street or in the mall or wherever we may be. What if they decided that we needed to be protected from misinformation through that app? I mean, nobody censors information on the internet these days, right? Yeah. What if the governments of this world think that they need to control us a little bit more? It's for our safety. What's the, uh, what was it Ronald Reagan said? The, is it the nine most terrifying words in the English language? You remember what they are? I'm from the government, and I'm here to help. And I think it's true today as much as when he said it. There is a term in all of this, and I think I may have skipped over it earlier, and I'd like you to do some homework on it. It's something that should terrify us more than the government showing up. The word I suggest you, you do some study on is technocracy. Am I saying that right? Technocracy. You know, I've made my career in information technology. It's how I've made my living. Um, but I've seen that there's good technology, right? There's good ways of using just tools of technology. And there's bad ways of using tools. And the technology itself is agnostic, right? Because it's the people that make the decision with the technology that ultimately determine the outcome. Technology companies have altered the outcomes of elections. They have manipulated public perception of policy, of news, of societal change. There's been many whistleblowers now talking about search engines. I, I think I've mentioned this before. Changing the meaning of words to skew the results. They have manipulated our perception of reality. These accursed smartphones that we have that are so useful and so dangerous, they connect us with this big tech environment. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but it is synonymous with the kind of connection that we are supposed to have with God. There's certainly, if, if, you know, if you're of a generation, there's a lot of social media, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all those things. Don't get me wrong, they could be used for good. But there's so many statistics behind the negative impacts of those platforms. Beyond you know, research and study into how those interact with people, there's something else going on. Because the, you know, we, I've done it. Hey, something great happened to me today. Put it on Facebook, share it with the world. Instead of going on my knees and sharing it with God and thanking him for the blessing that I, I received. Or I'm feeling a little lonely or a little bored, I'll go on social media to lift me up and get inspiration. Instead of going to God for that, his word for that, praying some meditation, seeking 
connection with him in the spirit. I'm not beating anybody up. I have done this. And I am very close to getting rid of all of that stuff. I think I've pretty much decided. And, you know, it's, it's hard because, hey, there's some good useful things. We can post stuff on the, the church Facebook page so everybody knows about, you know, bad weather or an event. But we really need to start to think, who are we worshiping? Who are we engaging with and spending our time with and falling down in front of? Those little screens, the social media, and the enticements to go off into the web. Before we know it, we have spent time that we could have spent with our families, with our husbands, with our wives, with our friends, with our children. It's really important for us to consider. There's a really good book I've started reading, and I recommend it. It's called Getting Your Life Back, Everyday Practices for a World Gone Mad. And this is a world gone mad. It's by John Eldridge. And he has some really good ideas about what to do with our <laughs> world gone mad life and our connected devices, and our immediate response to the ping and, or the buzz of that smartphone. And we've got to stop a conversation with a real life human being that's in front of us so that we can see what that latest thing was on our phone. It really comes down to two choices. Do we worship God or do we worship the God of our imagination, of our own creation? Do we worship God? Do we worship the enemy? We have two choices. We can communicate with two entities. One is real. One will save us, redeem us, and bring us into his eternal kingdom. The other will not. Will lie to us. Will manipulate us into all kinds of actions that we maybe never thought we would do. This is the choice we have. Worship God. Or worship gods of our own imagination. Let's stay true to our faith. Let's have the patience of our faith to worship God and Him only. And not bow down to the images of Babylon and the gods of our own imagination.